but today we sort of continue where we left off uh, last Sunday. Just to remind you, this series of The Secret Place is based on the first half of Matthew 6. And if you remember, last Sunday we talked about secret generosity, and we didn't take an offering, which means that I really want us to practice it in the secret place, because that's where God, uh, we find God's rewards. Where there are these three spiritual habits that I want to encourage us and all of us to sort of practice as we start this year, which is uh, giving, prayer, and fasting. There are, there are other things that we need to do, like serve the Lord and all that, but only three of them are said to be done in secret as well as in public. And the beauty is that if you do these three things in secret, habitually, God is going to reward you. And I don't know about you, but I tend to believe God, and not only in God, but I want to take God at His word. And He says, if you give, pray, and fast in secret, God is going to reward you. So that's the simple uh, idea. And today I want to talk about the secret place of prayer. Right, again, this is, this, today we're talking about prayer. The secret place of prayer. Every believer should have a secret place of prayer. And as you're going to see today from Matthew 6, we're reading about 10 verses. Jesus really wants us to know what it looks like to pray, and more than that, to practice this kind of secret place prayer. So let's read a few verses from Matthew 6, from 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the streets in the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let me pray before we continue. We ask you, Holy Spirit, that you really take these words of mine and just, just breathe life into our souls, into our hearts today through the Word of God, Lord, and I pray that it will bear fruit. Lord, whatever it is that we're going through, Lord, I pray that you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart that receives the fullness of your desires for us through the faithful proclamation of your Word today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I read this Church Times article. It's a longer article which involved about 2,000 people that were uh, sort of, they had a few questions about their spiritual life. And on the, in this article, they also asked a lot about prayer. So let me just give you some statistics. It says, prayer was more common among younger generations. Of that 589 respondents aged between 18 and 34, most said that they had prayed at some time in their life. Of these, about one-third prayed at least once a month. This was not the case among the older respondents. More than half of the 699 people in the Middle Age, they had never prayed. This was also true of the 786 aged 55 and above, 55% whom had never prayed. 
And of the middle-aged and oldest respondents who had said that they had prayed before, about one quarter reported doing so at least once a month. And I was reading these statistics, and I was sincerely asking myself and wondering, what is prayer to these respondents? And more, more than that, what is prayer to those who ask these questions? Because the way these questions are framed, it doesn't feel like it is a complete understanding of what prayer is. I don't think they have a complete understanding. It's a bit incomplete. It's a bit limited what they understand prayer to be about. Charles Spurgeon said, as we breathe without ceasing, so we must pray without ceasing. As we breathe without ceasing, so we must pray without ceasing. So what I did is that I looked at that article again, which this time hopefully is on your screens, and what I did is to replay, replace prayer with breath or breathe. So the same article would sound like this now. Of the 589 respondents aged between 18 and 34, most said that they had breathed at some time in their life. Of these, about one-third breathed at least once a month. More than half of the 699 people in middle age had never breathed. This was also true of the 786 people aged 55 and above, 55% whom have never breathed. And of the middle-aged and oldest response who have said that they had breathed before, about one quarter reported doing so at least once a month. Prayer is like breath to our souls. Have you ever tried breathing once a day? <laughs> or have you tried breathing once a week? Right? This sounds ridiculous because you can't go one or two minutes or whatever your record might be without breathing. Oxygen is necessary to the life of the body. And you may be aware of the necessities of your body, but have you ever thought about the health and necessities of your soul? Your soul is the whole of you, is your entire human person. And when God breathed into man the breath of life, he says that man became a living soul. So your soul is living, right? It's active. And if we are living souls, could there be something as important to our soul's health as breathing? Could we be suffocating without even realizing it? J.C. Ryle said, Faith is to the soul what life is to the body. Prayer is to faith what breath is to the body. Prayerlessness has both short and long-term damaging consequences over our souls. If we don't pray, we die. Maybe not physically, but we die spiritually and we die emotionally. You and I, we cannot afford to neglect prayer. Some people may think they can, but the reality of prayerlessness will soon knock on the doors of your soul. Because many who profess to be Christians, their souls are on life support because they neglect prayer. To be prayerless is to be spiritually lifeless. To be prayerless is to be lifeless. Think about me for a second, and I'll do this with all the love I have. Why is it that when we say, let us pray, the room becomes quiet? Because prayer is the opposite of shut up. Isn't it? We're not saying, be quiet. We're saying, let us pray, 
and then all of a sudden the room becomes quiet. Why is it that in most churches across the world, you don't need to raise your hand, Matt, because we're filming, but actually in every church, the prayer time is the least attended time from many of the things. And it's the same for us, even though we have prayer every single Sunday. Why is it that even though we have created an environment in which we teach, encourage, and practice the presence of God, like encounter, most people, even in our church, don't come then. Prayer is the hardest ministry in any church. Prayer is the hardest thing that we do. Even though, technically, it's easy to do. And yet, the biggest fight against us spiritually is, is to keep you away from the prayer, from the prayer closet. If Satan can win a battle in your life, that will be to keep you away from developing a healthy prayer life. We have about 10 encounter gatherings in a year, and some people have never turned up. We have 52 times of prayer every Sunday from 10 to 10.20, only 20 minutes, and still the great majority of us, and we are Christians, we don't turn up. And again, I'm not saying there are times when you're unwell, I understand. But I want to show you, and I want you to be honest with yourself as I'm trying to be honest with myself, prayer is the most neglected spiritual habit in our lives. And some of us, like me, I've been a Christian for 20 years. So I've been a Christian for longer, for more than half of my life. And yet at the beginning of every year, and then throughout the year, I'm realizing that I don't pray as much as I could, and my prayer life is not as powerful as I wish it would be, especially when I read testimonies or autobiographies of great men and women of God. It's like, how did you spend five times, five hours in prayer? Like those guys are supernatural, but I want to tell that it is possible for us as well to develop a, a lifestyle of powerful prayer that works. Like prayer is the most basic thing in Christianity, but if I was to ask, does prayer work in your life? Does prayer work in my life? What would we say? The truth is that prayerlessness is pervasive in the church, and the problem has deep roots. Many Christians have not yet experienced fruitful prayer life, even though they've been Christians for dozens and dozens and dozens of years. When it comes to prayer, we either neglect its importance, and therefore we don't practice it, or we form incorrect opinions about what prayer is, and therefore we practice prayer wrongly. Either way, we do not enjoy the power and the rewards associated with prayer. Even in our text that we read today, before Jesus even teaches the Lord's Prayer, which we know, Jesus points to two types of people who do practice prayer, but they do it wrongly. And he points to both sides and says, do not be like them. Right? Let's read again. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. <laughs> For they love to stand where everyone sees them. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. And the them that Jesus says, do not be like, and the them that Jesus calls hypocrites are actually religious people. They would be someone like me nowadays. Someone that we tend to look up to and say, if there's anyone who can teach us about prayer, is the pastor, is the leader, is the mature believer. And Jesus says, do not be like them. And then we read in verse 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard by their many, for their many words. On one side, you have religious people who practice prayer legalistically for their own glory, to be seen by others, 
And on the other side, you have people who are characterized by their vain repetitions of religious words, and they think, in the Christian standard Bible says, they imagine that God will hear them because of the repetition of their many words. And I think that Jesus recognized that those were the two main examples people would look at and follow and be influenced by when it comes to prayer. You have those who are legalistic and religious, and you have the non-religious who think of themselves as spiritual, but in reality they are empty of spiritual vigor and power. Do not be like either of them, says Jesus. In our days, not only do we not know how to pray, but we don't even feel the need to pray. And why is that? One reason is unbelief, which is the functional atheism of our public culture that gets into our lives. Functional atheists, and you heard him speak about this, there are people who claim to believe in God, and they even go to church, but live life as if God doesn't exist, and as if God doesn't have a desire that should be fulfilled through their lives. They admire God, but never obey God. They are functional atheists, not in speech, but in lifestyle. And I mentioned this idea in the past. They are individuals that look Christians, talk like Christians, claim to be Christians, but live life as if there is no God. And many people profess to follow Christ, yet they live life, apart from Sunday, as if they're atheists, as if God doesn't exist. They are functional atheists, or called them Christian atheists, if that's even possible. Another reason for prayerlessness is materialism, because money does what prayer does, but still lets you be in control. That's what materialism is in a Christian life. Money does what prayer does, but you're still in control. So why pray when money can get me what I need? Fair question, isn't it? Why pray when money can make me healthy? When they pray, they do not expect or need God to answer. Usually, they don't have needs to pray for. If anyone ever asks you, how can I pray for you, and you say there's nothing, hmm, <laughs> you don't know the depths of the needs of your soul. Because there's always something to be prayed for. There's also a reason you need prayer. They are Christians, and yet they are so self-sufficient that they don't need any help from God. So, of course, you don't pray. They live out their faith as if everything depends on them, their intelligence, their credit cards, their work ethic, and their technology. So, I don't need to pray. And another root for prayerlessness is cynicism, which basically asks the question, what, does, what good does prayer even do? My dear brothers and sisters, I want to tell you that we cannot afford to neglect or misunderstand prayer. And that was the issue that Jesus is addressing in our passage today. Because prayerlessness is destructive, we must be devoted to God in the secret place. And I'm talking devoted to God. My simple and humanly impossible goal this morning in this message is that you would all be devoted to prayer. And this is my goal because that's what the Bible calls us to do. Romans 12, 12, which is part of a longer chain of exhortation, says this, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, and devoted to prayer. Other versions might say constant in prayer or faithful in prayer. 
But that word devoted is in Greek, proskarterontes. I'm sure all of us read this. But I'm pointing that out because in Mark chapter 3, verse 9, where it says, Jesus told his disciples to have a boat ready, the same word as devoted, for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. So there was this boat set apart, devoted, for the purpose of taking Jesus, just in case the crowds get too excited. Devoted is the idea of being dedicated for a task and appointed for it, like the boat. Now, boats just sit, sit there, but people are not dedicated in that way. When the word is applied to a person, it means that we are devoted or dedicated, not only in theory, that we just designate something to you, but in practice. In other words, I am set apart and devoted for this purpose that I am going to accomplish through my life. So we need to be devoted, set apart for the purpose of practicing prayer in the secret place. And what's remarkable about this word is that five of the ten New Testament uses applies to prayer. So let me give you a list. Acts 1.14. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Acts 2.42. If you remember, the first series I've done at what used to be called Homecroft Church was about being devoted, and we looked at the early church. And Acts 2 says they were continually devoting themselves to apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. And by the way, that's why we have Sundays the way we do, and we have communion every Sunday, okay? That's part of the reason. But the early believers who had no religious background, who haven't been to church before because the church was just being created, they were devoted to prayer. Acts 6.4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with right attitude and thanksgiving. So we may say from the New Testament scripture that the normal, okay, basic Christian life is a life devoted to prayer. That was normal as it is normal to breathe. And I look at these verses and I look at these guys, I'm like, this is the baseline and I think we are under it when it comes to prayer. Not value, not dignity, okay? Not identity, but to being devoted to prayer. We're not even on ground zero in our days. And it hurts me when I sit down with people who have been in ministry for a long time, even lately, I promise you, and I ask them, how's your prayer life? And some of them, some of them have not even spent one hour in prayer. And if you think one hour is long, like Jesus said, you couldn't even pray one hour with me. Prayerlessness is so active and present in our life. And we wonder why our spiritually speaking, we're just on life support. Just spiritual zombies, because there's no life in us. The normal Christian life in the New Testament is a life devoted to prayer. That's why as he did in regard to generosity, Jesus does as with prayer in assuming that Christians are devoted to prayer. If any of the disciples would be alive today and come here to preach, they will assume we are devoted to prayer. The idea of a Christian that is not devoted, set aside apart for prayer, is, it doesn't make sense. It's like a Romanian who doesn't speak Romanian. Like, mm, let's talk about that. Jesus says, when you pray, right? Not if you pray. 
Again, Jesus makes assumptions. And so, I want to encourage you to ask yourself as you turn from 2023 to 2024, am I devoted to prayer? And devotion also speaks about pattern. Right? That's why it's devotion. That's why I call them devotionals, right? It's something we do as a pattern. So, is there a pattern of praying in your life that can be fairly called devoted to prayer? You see, there is actually a pattern of prayer that Jesus wants us to develop. And that pattern is found in the Lord's Prayer. So let me read it again. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know it, right? We, we sometimes even say it out loud together. But we must be devoted to God. Oh, not yet. We're getting there. We must be devoted to God in prayer in the secret place. That is what Jesus says. Those guys are praying wrong. Those guys are praying wrong. You be devoted to God in the secret place. Because this is the prayer, right? Jesus doesn't only tell us what to do, but he also shows us. And I think we have become so familiar with the Lord's prayer that we no longer believe it in its power. It's like whenever someone comes to Naomi and my place, and we live near the train tracks, right, uh, railway, we're like, we've gotten so used to the noise that we don't even see the train passing by. But it is only when someone visits for the first time that you see them, like, what was that? Sometimes it's a train, other times it's a fox. You know, it can change. But we've gotten so used to that, and I think when it comes to the Lord's Prayer, it's, it's our railway and our foxes that you see in front of you, and you no longer notice it. It has lost its value. It has lost its, its uh, significance in our lives. That's why we no longer practice it. We take it as a thing for granted. And this prayer is not something that we just take to repeat or mumble aimlessly as an incantation to, that awakens the divine to our needs and wants. I like to look at the Lord's Prayer as a map. Or a pattern. And that's what I want to do in the next few minutes, very practically with all of us. It is a map that enriches my prayer life and truly transforms my work with God through my day-to-day -day life. If there's anything you need to develop in your life, it's a pattern of prayer. That's why I don't like to call encounter a meeting. We're not meeting. We're encountering the presence of God. So there needs to be a pattern. The pattern that we put out for you as a church that is not your secret place, okay, is we pray on Sunday from 10 to 10.20, we pray during encounter once a month <laughs> for only one hour, and we pray in the small groups every week or whenever you meet. And on top of that, the most important prayer time in your life should be daily in the secret place where no one can see you, where there are no cameras, slides, or screens, where it's only you and God. When I go to my secret place, or the secret closet, there are five mini prayers that are part of this Lord's Prayer that I want to share with you. So the secret play, prayer closet is a place and time for, first of all, adoration. Let me ask you, can you adore God? You don't need to go to Bible college to adore God. You don't need to read the Bible in and out. I hope you're following your Bible reading plan seven days in, right? But... The first thing is adoration because it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So the first thing that we practice when we go in the secret place is the habit of adoration. 
In other words, I look to God before I look at my needs. I look to God and not around me and say, Lord, be magnified, be glorified. I lift your name high. There are so many reasons that you can adore God for, for who he is, for what he does. Lord, I adore you. And I promise you, you can adore him. There's no one in this room that can't adore God. It is as simple as that. Secondly, is acceptance. By the way, I'm taking this, all this from Tim Keller, okay? Uh, so just know. Second one is acceptance. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this is a bit harder because it's easier to adore God. It's harder, not impossible, but harder to accept his will in our lives. And that's just step number two. Now, when we talk about a lifestyle of prayer, we also talk about a lifestyle that accepts everything as if from God's hand, the good and the bad. And we are blessed even in this church by people that have learned to accept even the painful things in their lives and say glory to God. And as Christians who should be devoted to prayer as a pattern, we should also develop the pattern of accepting God's will in our lives as it is in heaven. And sometimes that hurts. And the mature believer says, I'm accepting this from you, God. Because if you look around you and things happen to you that are not because of silly mistakes you've made, that are not because of your fault, but they just happen, I'm accepting this as God's will. It doesn't mean I'm not hurting. It doesn't mean I'm not questioning. But it does mean, Lord, your will be done. In my life as it is in heaven. In my family as it is in heaven. At my workplace as it is in heaven. At Vision Church, as it is in heaven. Because there will always be stuff that is happening that is not because of you, that are not your fault. And yet we need to say, your will be done, as it is in heaven. Thirdly, the best one, asking. (laughs) You see, God wants us to ask. That's why I say, give us this day our daily bread. I found it in my personal life that obviously... At the beginning, when I was a new believer, I was jumping into asking because obviously God is like a genie in a lamp, right? No, he's not, okay? But it's like I was going to say, God, give me this, do this, do that. And it's not wrong. But if you try to adore God and accept his will, then your asking will be way different. You'll even feel that those words don't hit the ceiling, but they just go through thousands of heavens if need be and reach the throne of God. Why? Because you know who you're praying to. If you go through heart and say, for example, God, you are good. I'm adoring him. You are love. But I look in my life and some people attack me or I lost dear ones or I'm physically ill and I know that What I'm going through doesn't change who you are. You are still good even if my circumstances are not. So I'm accepting your will in my life. But I'm going to ask you, Lord, give me strength to go through the day. Give me healing so I can get better. Please look after those who don't know you. And I want them to know like my family. God is still good. God is still the same even if stuff are bad in our lives. All of a sudden when I'm asking, I'm asking knowing who God is. I'm asking, accepting his will, that's a posture of humility, where I don't need to be in control, but I approach the King of Kings, my Father in heaven, and say, would you please give me today my daily bread, provide for me, bring me healing, provide for my family. And then we go into admission. Oh, this one 
which says what? Forgive us our debts. Let's stop there for a second. If you need trespasses, debts, or sins to be forgiven, it means you have them. And that is a place of admitting that we are frail, weak, and sinners. Even like Mark said earlier, by birth, by nature, we are children of wrath, enemies of God. It's not who we are anymore, but sometimes it's good, every time it's good that we admit that apart from God, we are truly wretched. It's also good in this place of admission to say, God, I'm hurting. God, I'm broken. You do not need to be Superman or Superwoman with God because He knows. You can just put all your, all your worlds down because God knows the real you, but in admitting this, you are recognizing and you are admitting who you are as well. And let me tell you, as beautiful as you may look on the outside, on the inside, we are not like that, apart from God. So say, Lord, forgive me my sins. Lord, forgive me for what I've done in thought or did. I would even say, go as far as, far as to say, is there anything that I'm not seeing, Holy Spirit? Let me confess it. So I say, Lord, forgive me my trespasses as I, ha- as I forgive those who wrong me or those who sin against me. Adoration, acceptance, asking, admission. Then finally, it doesn't start with A. It's rebellion against the evil status quo. And I would say that this is the hardest thing to do. Because we may even be willing to admit that we're not as great as we think we are. That we cannot do life on our own. We may be willing to even accept God's will in our lives. But to rebel against the evil status quo. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That means that I'm going to live a holy life. Set apart from God. That I'm not going to compromise with those around me. That I'm not going to do anything that destroys my relationship with God. I'm not going to commit any sins that become like this separating world between me and God so He doesn't hear me and He doesn't uh, see me. Have you ever made prayers that seem to hit a wall? Maybe because you have not confessed some stuff in your life. Maybe because you're still with the foot in both worlds. How can God hear you when you're not confessing sin or when you're practicing sin and you think it's okay. It is never okay to commit any sort of sin, but it is always, there's always an open door to bring all sins before God. We cannot just say, God loves me. Yes, but He won't listen. Because I can love you doesn't mean I need to incline my ear to you because all I see is sin. And God dealt with it on the cross for you. Do not build it up again. So we need to rebel against the evil status quo. We need sometimes to be counter-cultural, which doesn't mean against culture, but different from the culture. Because we live in this world, but we do not live like this world. And it doesn't mean that we make enemies of the people of this world. No, because our fight is not against humans or flesh. It's against spiritual forces in the dark world. But I want to say, do not compromise with sin. If you're flirting with sin, you'll end up sleeping with sin, and you're going to give birth to some weird stuff in your life. We need to be actively rebelling against the evil status quo of our culture and of this world. And there's a lot of things that I don't have time to go into. But then, as you practice these things in the secret place, you live life out of that secret place. And all of a sudden, words like pray without ceasing becomes a lifestyle. To pray without ceasing is basically be devoted to a prayer lifestyle of adoration, acceptance, asking, 
admission and rebellion against the evil status quo at home, at work, when you go out, when you visit family, and yes, when you gather as the church on Sunday, during small groups, during encounter and other environments. That's what it means to be devoted to a pattern of prayer as a lifestyle. You don't need to come to church to pray. Like, it would be amazing if you pray before. As I say, come with God, not for God. Imagine if all of us are already filled up with His presence because we practice prayer as a devotion and as a pattern in our lives. All of a sudden, there's so much of God in our lives and in this place that things are going to change. No matter who steps foot in, into this place, they're going to encounter the presence of God. But how can they encounter the presence of God when we gather together if we do not spend time in the presence of God in the intimate place? That's why it needs to be a pattern. This year, I want to encourage you to live life out of that secret place, not of this Sunday program. As challenging as I can be, <laughs> and as motivational everything can be here, unless you develop a habit of devoted pattern of prayer in the secret place, you will not survive these dangerous waters of our culture. It's hard. I want, you to, encourage, I want to encourage you to live life out of that secret place. And then your marriage, your work, your relationships, parenting, will all naturally be affected by your devotion to God in the secret place. Things tend to align themselves when the individual is devoted to God in the secret place. What God requires of us is to be devoted to Him in the secret place. Because, based on our text today, it is in the secret place that we are seen, known, and rewarded. Verse 6 says, pray to your father who sees in secret. Now, doesn't God see everything? Of course, he's God. Doesn't God know everything? Yes. But it seems to indicate that there's a special revelation of God's presence that we can only exclusively enjoy and experience in the secret place. It is only in the secret place that you are seen by your heavenly Father. It is in the secret place that you are known, because it says in verse uh, 8, your Father knows what you need in the secret place. He always has general knowledge, and don't ask me how this works, but God has made it such that when you go in the secret place, He says, I know you, daughter. I know you, son. I know your needs. I know what you're going through. He's not only saying it in the word, but he's saying it to you personally and directly. And if you're not in the secret place, you are not seen by God. You are not known by God. And I know theologically it doesn't make sense, but you know what I mean. And very importantly, in the secret place, we are rewarded. Because your father will reward. Your father who sees in secret, who knows in secret, will reward you. Will reward what? Your devotion to a prayer lifestyle, that's it. It doesn't say he's, re he's rewarding your perfection, because let's be honest, you'll get no rewards. But he's rewarding the fact that you are seeking him in the, in the prayer closet, in the secret place. And without the secret place, you live life aimlessly, where you are not known by the God you claim to know, you are not seen by the God you claim to worship, and you are not rewarded with the riches and the blessings that God has for you, yes, even in this life. I really believe that as Christians, we can truly live a strong prayer life, but it starts in the secret place, not on the stage. 
was, every Sunday, I wake up really early just to get myself ready and then get my heart ready. And then towards the end, about half an hour before I leave, I listen to Romanian church services online because it's two hours difference. And I was listening today to one, uh, one of them, and at some point, whoever was leading the service says, now let us sit down as the choir of the church is going to worship Jesus. I'm like, no. Like, what about me? <laughs> Can I worship Jesus? And then you see in these large churches, everyone sitting, observing as the choir worships God. It's like, no. That's why I say, when I say, let us pray, I don't mean people on stage. When, I, when Loris says, let us sing, we don't mean Loris and Sarah, which, by the way, welcome back. Where are you? Yeah? Sarah was singing to the amazing voice. Angelic. <laughs> Stop there. <laughs> right? But you see, we need to worship God from the secret place. And I think that prayer is so heavy, and I believe that we don't pray publicly because we don't pray in the secret place. It's like I am asking people to do something that they're not accustomed to. Again, if I may use the example, it's as if I'm asking Alex to quickly speak Romanian, though he never practices at home. Like, okay, I'm just going to pretend. I'm praying in my mind. So do that at home. It's okay to pray out loud at church. We are doing this together. What's happening on stage is not to sort of, it's not a uh, what's the word? performance for you. It is a gathering together of like-minded Christians who want to pray to God and to be devoted to Him. So, you need to be seen by God, known by God, rewarded by Him in the secret way. So, not by people, but by the God who relates to you and I, as He says in the text, as your heavenly Father. That's why you need the secret prayer closet. And this prayer closet is a place and a time. Okay, again, importantly, practically, there needs to be a place and a time. I have them in my life. It's amazing. Sometimes it looks like a park. Other times it looks like here when I'm alone and just the piano and my weird voice. It doesn't matter because I'm with God. So it's good. It's a secret, you know. Anyway, so the secret place, for the, the, the prayer closet needs to be sacred. In other words, it is devoted to only you and God. It needs to be a pattern in which you go there Please let me take, say daily to spend time in this sacred time and space. Second, it needs to be secret. By that we mean that you cannot be reached by the crowds. Because Jesus often, you say he was going to a desolate place. I like that. Desolate means there are no, no street signs towards it. There's no highway. There's no road. It's desolate. It cannot be found and it doesn't come up on Google Maps. And Jesus always went to this kind of desolate places to be away from the crowds. Do you have a place where you're away from your notifications? And please don't bring them in with you. Right? Screen is not one of the S's there, okay? <laughs> then we need to be there because that's where the Spirit of God is. The Holy Spirit will meet you in the secret place. And you will walk with Him, by Him out of that place. Jesus spent 40 days and nights in the desert, and then he says as he came out, he was empowered by the Holy Spirit, and he started preaching the gospel and do mighty miracles. Look at people like Paul, and there's a lot of examples. 
People who spend time in the secret place, the desolate place, they come empowered by the Spirit of God. And obviously brings scripture in as well. Because God speaks primarily through his words, but then he makes, brings those words to life through the Spirit of God. If you do not go into the prayer closet that is sacred, secret, where the Spirit of God is and you bring scripture, you will be a Christian who is spiritually speaking on life support. And of course, why would I ask someone who can barely walk to run? Like, I'm sorry, I'm being unfair, right? So please get into the secret place. So let me finish with this kid, you can join me. This is again uh, something that I, I took from Tim Keller as I was listening to him. And he asks uh, a few questions. He says that I often ask Christians to evaluate their situation with regard to prayer by using a metaphor. Imagine that your soul is a boat, a boat with both oars and a sail. And in this case, there are four questions. I want you even in this moment to truly think it through. First question is this, are you sailing? In your prayer life, are you sailing? Sailing means that you are living the Christian life with the wind at your back. It means that God is real to your heart. You often feel His love. You see prayers being answered. When studying the Bible, you regularly see remarkable things and you sense God speaking to you from His Word. You, see, you sense people around you being influenced by the Spirit that lives in you and through you. That's the first question. Are you sailing? Second one is, are you rowing? Are you rowing? Rowing means that you are finding prayer and Bible reading to be more of a duty than a delight. God often, though not always, seems distant. And the sense of His presence is fairly rare. You don't see many of your prayers being answered. You may be struggling with doubts about God and about yourself. Yet, despite all this, you refuse self-pity or the self-righteous pride that assumes that you know better than God how your life should go. You continue to read your Bible and you continue to pray regularly. You attend worship and reach out and serve people despite inner spiritual dryness. Third question, are you drifting? Drifting means that you are experiencing all the conditions of rowing, spiritual dryness, and difficulties in life. But in response, instead of rowing, you are letting yourself drift. You don't feel like approaching and obeying God. So you don't pray and you don't read your Bible. You give in to self-centeredness that naturally comes when you feel sorry for yourself. And you drift into self-indulgent behaviors to comfort yourself, whether it be escape eating and sleeping, sexual practices, or whatever else. The fourth question is, are you sinking? Are you sinking? Eventually, your boat, your soul, 
will drift away from the shipping lanes, as it were, and truly lose any forward motion in the Christian life. The numbness of heart can become hardness because you give into thoughts like self-pity or resentment. If some major difficulty or trouble were to come into your life, it would be possible for you to abandon your faith and identity as a Christian altogether. In this metaphor, we see that there are some things that we are responsible for, such as using habits or means of grace, like the Bible, like prayer, church participation, doing all that in a disciplined way, devoted to all of this. There are many other things that we do not have much control over, such as how well the circumstances in our lives are going to be, or how well our emotions are dealing with what's happening around us. If you pray, worship, and obey, despite negative circumstances and feelings, you won't be drifting. You can't be rowing and drifting at the same time. So if you practice a pattern of devotion in the secret place, that means you're rowing. And the beauty of it, and I was actually sitting in the hospital with Chris this week, and you know he's been sailing for many years. And he said that many times you just row because at some point you will catch wind. But there's no wind to catch if you just want to drift away. And I don't know where you find yourself in this four. Usually it's in between some of them. But at least we should be rowing. That's the baseline devoted to prayer. Because the, the other option is that you're sinking. And you'll be sinking so much until no one sees you and now knows about you. And God is calling us to live a life in which we are devoted to Him in the secret place. That's all I want for you. And of course, time won't allow me, but maybe throughout the weeks to come, I'll share a lot about my own experiences with God. Because there will be times where I promise you, you'll catch the wind of the Spirit if you can just keep doing the rowing, despite the fact that you don't feel like doing it. That's what it means to obey God. I'm going to do the right thing despite not feeling like it. Trusting that at the appointed time, He's going to intervene in my life. Are you sailing, rowing, drifting, or sinking?